Hey everybody, Boom. welcome back to the Grey and Lane podcast, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now lately we've been taking a series of breaks to interview some incredible professionals and we are honored to be joined by uh, Jed, I gotta make sure I say your last name right, is it McKay or Mackey? McKay. McKay. There's the there's the little C and the big K, so that's what I assume, but I wanted to make sure. Uh, Jed McKay. And then I'm uh, I'm honored to have uh, Dayspring back with us uh, to co-host today. Hi, Dayspring. Hey, what's going on, Chad? How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. And hey, Jed, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about some comic books. It's, uh, it's nice to have you both here. Now, last time on Green Malcolm Lane, we had a trial for uh, the character Quicksilver. I'm assuming you all had a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun to put together. Uh, Jed, are you a Quicksilver fan? Uh, you know what? I'd say I'm, I'm more on the fan side than, uh, than not. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not something I follow a lot, but I think I, you know, I like him in, uh, in the concept. We, uh, we came to the consensus at the end, like, great character, terrible asshole, not anyone you'd ever want to know in real life. <laughs> okay, but I mean, can we talk that about, about... That about sums it up. <laughs> can we talk about that scene in Trial of Magneto where him and Northstar share a hug? That was <laughs> so cute. And when when Quicksilver was like, she's my sister, she wasn't well, I was supposed to take care of her. And like Northstar's like, I know, I get yeah. it. Like the two characters who would understand that was such a beautiful scene. Except given their history, Quicksilver's just full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Although, listen, I'm team him when it comes to House of M because when it was revealed that he was like behind House of M and Magneto was like, how dare you do this in my name? I was like, Magneto, relax. Yeah, like you've done a lot worse. Than yeah. the, pump pump the brakes, buddy. Pump the brakes, talk to your son, you know, but... <laughs> Hmm. Now, uh, Jed, we uh, let's focus in on some of your work really quickly. Sure. To begin our interview today, can you tell us just a little about your journey into working for Marvel? Yeah, it was. Um, so you know, not to go you know super far back, but like I always came up reading comics. My uh, my dad was a comic guy, so um, you know through the '90s, I would you know grow up reading '70s comics, which is. You know, largely a lot of my Quicksilver impressions come from, you know, from his time in the Avengers when he had, uh, you know, the, the blue suit with the, the crossways lightning bolt or occasionally the green suit. But I guess that was more of a villainous look for him. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I came up, came up reading comics and then um, wanted to make my own comics as I got older, as I got exposed to more like uh, indie stuff and some of the, you know, the 80s black and white stuff because it kind of became more apparent that this is something that you don't have to just do working for a big company you know i see stuff that just like really kind of scrappy indie stuff people would make just to make it so that was you know in my late teens when i got very into that idea and it coincided really well with um the sort of message board culture that was around at the time you know it was before social media really existed but there was a lot of you know message boards bulletin boards where uh you know young artists would you know hang out and talk about stuff that they liked and show off their work and you know, network. Uh, that was how I got started making comics because it, it became very apparent pretty quickly that uh, I wasn't fast or good enough to uh, to draw comics. But I still like to you know write stories and make stuff up. So I hooked up with my friend Sheldon, uh, who's an artist in Australia, and we would make comics together. They're really you know crass, stupid comics as you you make when you're like 19, 20 or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, 
I got a stack of those in my closet still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, you know, just, just real, real dumb shit that you, you think is fun when you're, you know, young. Um, anyways, some years went on by uh, and Sheldon got scouted by Marvel. So uh, that was back when they were doing stuff like, um, shoot, what was it? Bizarre, Bizarre Tales? What was the, the the anthology book they did with Bizarre like, Adventures? I think it's called. I think so. Yeah, it's they a, had like a, they had a lot of uh, like internet, um, not internet famous, but you know, internet up and coming artists, you know, webcomic artists and stuff like that, working for them in that one. Um, so Sheldon went on to do a couple more anthology books, and eventually he got brought on for uh, X Men Servant Protection Number Four, which was an anthology book uh, coming out around two thousand ten. Oh, and yeah, it was the uh, utopian era. Oh yes. And uh, so, yeah, well, you know, the, the concept was, you know, an X-Men character teams up with a non-X-Men character and they have an adventure for eight pages or however. Uh, Sheldon realized that he didn't know any of these characters. <laughs> so he's like, Hey, why don't, why don't you come in and write this for me? And then, uh, you know, we'll both get paid and, you know, you can get kind of get your foot in the door there. Uh, so that's what I did. That was my first Marvel job uh, back in 2010. Um, you know, I thought everything was, I was like, wow, this is great. You know, it's a great start. Hopefully I'll get something else to come in. You know, I sent some emails saying, hey, I've got some ideas. Uh, I didn't hear anything for four years. <laughs> uh, so then later, I mean, because I mean, I'm just some jamoke with, uh, you know, an eight page script. So sure. I wasn't exactly setting the world on fire there. Sure. Um, so it wasn't until like 20, 2014. Um, Nick, their editor, came back came back to us and was like, "Hey, do you want to do uh, another eight page story?" We're like, we've got this, uh, you know, punk Spider Man character we've got from Spider Verse. We want to see what their world looks like, who they are under the mask, and this kind of thing. So we did another eight page anthology for uh, Ghost Spider Verse number two. Um, and it was pretty well received. People seemed to like it. So I was like, "Okay, well, this is it. You know, now now I've got it." Um, I'm like, well, how, you know, send an email like, Hey, you know, are you interested? Maybe we could do like, uh, you know, the punk Spider-Man mini series or something like that. And, uh, didn't hear anything for another four years. Oh my! <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't until I think 2018 that, uh, Nick emailed us again. He's like, Hey, do you guys want to do a full issue of the Spider-Punk character? And Sheldon was too busy. Uh, he was working the animation at the time. I was like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that. It'd be great. So I wrote that full issue. And as usual, I'm like, okay, this, 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 maybe this is it. I don't know. Who knows? I'll send an email. And so, you know, next day, like, hey, you know, this is great working together. And I'd love to work together again. If you have anything else, it's kind of on the table. And he's like, well, actually, you're in luck this time. I was like, wait, wait, seriously? <laughs> so uh, they had the Daughters of the Dragon digital first series that right. was coming out. And he's like, you know, we had something lined up for this. It didn't quite shake out. And we need this turned around like yesterday. So if you have some ideas, send them to me and we'll see if it works. And that was uh, the first series I had. And then Daughters came, uh, Ghost Panther, then Man Without Fear, and then finally Black Cat, which is kind of my big, uh, you know, debut, I guess, of, a, of an ongoing series at Marvel. So let's let's pause you there for just a minute. Uh, and I, again, I was going to stop there anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I want to I want to emphasize to our listeners just for those wanting to build a career in comics, listen to the tenacity and consistency and patience and waiting 
uh, and stops and starts along the way as you as you work. Now, uh, focusing on your first Marvel work, which was mm -hmm. your your backup story in that uh, to serve and protect issue of the X Men. Yep. So back in those days, I used to work on the Marvel handbooks, uh, the, oh, okay. the guys that wrote the encyclopedia stuff on everything, right? And uh, I, I, so I was working still for the company during that era when you wrote that book. And your story in that book was one of the, one of the stories where the handbook guys would be like, "How can we possibly? Real. Yeah, how can we possibly fit this into continuity?" And I was always the stick that was like, "Yes, everything that's printed fits, unless we know it's an alternate reality yeah. or a dream." So in your story, you have Dazzler. Colleen Wing and Misty Knight, who are your mm -hmm. like through line characters, yeah. fighting uh, in a bizarre roller derby in space. Basically, there's a character introduced named Mogord. Uh, instead of Modoc, it's the mental organism designed only for roller derby. That's correct. Yes. Uh, and you also, and I take personal offense to this because my name is Chad. You also introduce a sleazy version of the Grandmaster called the Chad Master. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, I, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, hmm. That was, that was kind of a, a goofy joke, but I was like, yeah, you know, it was, it was 13 years ago now. It's a, uh, it was a different time, but yes, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize now. Uh, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fun, silly little Dazzler story that's larger than life and it makes you laugh. I think it's great. What was the reception to that work at the time? Do you recall? Um, I think it was largely crickets. Um, oh. It's, yeah, I don't think I don't I don't recall a huge reception to it. Like I think people sort of liked it, but for a lot of anthology stuff, and especially from people like myself, uh, had you know, you know, no recognizable name. And also with a very non-house style in the art. You know, it's not it's just I I don't think it really connected with people a whole lot. You know, I think some Dazzler fans liked it, but also they're like, why is she wearing her old outfit? I'm like, well, because it's iconic. Like you know, there's, you're always going to go back to the, the eye flashes and the jumpsuit. Like it's just kind of how it is. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was, was hugely well received just because it's kind of an oddball story. There's only so many daughters fans out there. There's only so many Dazzler fans out there. And there's only so many people picking out these anthology books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, frankly, there's a lot of stories like that, this kind of madcap, crazy, fun yeah. punch. It's like the back of an annual or like a Deadpool book, right? You see a lot of these yeah. stories and it really is genuinely fun. It's a fun debut. Uh, I loved, I loved your Daughters of the Dragon series, but I oh, want to focus you. in on Black Cat for just a minute. Sure. Uh, uh, Paul, have you read Black Cat? I have. It's so good. Oh, thank so you. Good. It's so, <laughs> so good. So good. And those Pepe Larraz covers. Oh, Oh, oh my gosh. It was such a, such a treat every time. And actually, wait, just before we get into that, just to circle back on Dazzler, that utopian era, they were really trying to push Dazzler. And oh, one of the, the people I used to uh, do a podcast with called Flinkman is a huge Dazzler fan. And he really loved that serve, to, serve and protect story when it, when it initially came out. I remember we were talking about it. And then I think they also pushed a, a Dazzler solo at that time, if I remember correctly. I don't remember. I with remember like Dazzler. Lois London, her sister. That could have been after with Necrotia, though. Yeah, I wasn't keeping up with X-Men as closely at that point in time. So some of the stuff kind of blends together. Um, I had, a couple of years ago, I pitched a Dazzler series that uh, editor at the time, Chris Robinson, was trying to put together. Oh, wait, what did and, that? Uh, what did that look like? If you don't mind it, us asking. Yeah, no, it's, it was, I mean, I won't get too much into it, but it was just kind of a, 
uh, Chris kind of had a bee in his bonnet where he's like, oh, I think there's room for this Dazzler book. And, you know, he's like, what if we have Dazzler as like a, a, you know, a minister of culture in Krakoa? And, you know, having Dazzler kind of interact with um, the emergent culture of Krakoa. And, you know, I was, I was kind of writing it like, you know, you have one half superhero book, but also kind of one half office comedy. And that she's sort of running this, you know, essentially division. Uh, you know, it's not a team. It's more of like a department in uh, Krakoa. So, yeah, it was Dazzler and having that. So, yeah, it was Dazzler and Frenzy were kind of like the main two. And then the backup characters in the department were also uh, Dupe and Ugly John. Stop. That's uh, incredible. But, which, uh, which I thought, you know, I thought it was pretty funny because, you know, Dupe is upsetting and then Ugly John, uh, obviously, he was resurrected by mistake because there's no reason they would ever re- resurrect Ugly John. <laughs> And he has to go around living on this island of beautiful people as being this like weird, fucked up looking dude who everybody knows is a mistake that he's there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was kind of fun. So I was doing a lot. So the reason I say that is I was doing a lot of Dazzler reading and going back. And I was, you know, she's got a wild history where, you know, uh, Galactus threw, threw her into a black hole to beat up Terax. Uh, like she ran an interdimensional death squad hunting rogue Xavier's. Like, extreme got, x-men that was yeah, such she, a great title yeah it was like it's she has such a wild history that you know she kind of gets boiled down to like lol disco but which is itself kind of a weirdly problematic term the way americans have responded to disco etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh, but yeah. um but yeah like, like i think dazzler's got such a fascinating history and she and it's so odd because I really like that she basically gets no respect despite having as hardcore history as any other ex person. Like it's wild. Well, and even being pushed editorially back when she debuted, like mm. she had her own solo series. They had the oil covers. There was that deal with Casablanca. I agree yeah. with you. I'm sorry that series never came to fruition though, because that, I mean, I'm looking at Chad right now. You know, my eyes are spinning just hearing that. <laughs> now, knowing knowing Dazzler will never see the light of day, or, or at least that version of the book, uh, we're likely to never see the Chad Master again either. <laughs> I, I don't think people are really kicking down the doors for the Chad Master. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at the Chad Master right now. Here he is. <laughs> uh, now, now, Jed, I, uh, I've, I've read through all of your work uh, as you've published it, but but all of this last week. And whenever I'm sitting down and, and reading stuff that's by one person, I'm noticing a lot of trends and, and, and ways. Your way of approaching characters, mm-hmm. uh, several things stand out to me, but you are not threatened by the continuity of the character. Listen to the way you just talked about Dazzler. Uh, when you're looking at Black Cat and when you're looking at Moon Knight and when you're looking at Taskmaster and you're taking the complexities and you're weaving it seamlessly into the story that you're telling, uh, you also have this beautiful way of treating the entire Marvel universe as your playground. I mean, uh, in your Taskmaster series, he's fighting Hyperion one issue, and then he's in Wakanda. Uh, Black Cat is committing heists all over the place. Moon Knight is facing all types of different threats that are completely unexpected, from sweaty janitors to <laughs> to <laughs> vampires to serial killers. How do you approach as a writer uh, the idea, and I know this is a big question, but the idea of continuity and having this vast, complicated universe? Uh, I mean, I think it comes just comes down to picking and choosing what you, you know, you take what you like and what is useful and what isn't useful. You just kind of get rid of, um, you know, there's stuff like, you know, especially stuff as pertains to identities that you always want to make sure that you're acknowledging and that you're, approaching in a way that is respectful and is good good for people um 
you know, in, with Moon Knight, you've got a lot of different identities going on here. Mm-hmm. Be it, uh, you know, talk about mental health, um, you know, talking about Mark's Jewish identity and stuff like that. Um, you know, similarly with Black Cat, something that I really wanted to do is acknowledge, you know, Felicia's queer identity. Right. That was kind of, a, you know, it was like a throwaway joke, but it's also something that despite not necessarily being explored or, you know, really ever having any expectation to explore it when it was introduced was still something that became really important to a lot of people. At the same time, you know, there's other stuff that is just not particularly useful that you just don't worry about. Um, You know, we've never, we've never referenced um, Felicia's origin uh, from, um, you know, the series where it was revealed that, you know, she's a victim of sexual assault. Because it's just not something that would fit in our series. Uh, it's just not something certainly that I would have any, um, you know, qualification to speak on in, in any uh, capacity. So I think it's just a matter of finding the stuff you like and putting it out there in a way that's interesting and exciting for people now. And if there's stuff that doesn't fit with the story that you're working on, just don't draw attention to it. You don't need to fix these things. Just let it disappear. Front to back, your Black Cat run, and I know it's across two series because publication's crazy, but it's it's such a solid, incredible read. The things I loved most, I love I love old continuity characters brought back. So your your use of <laughs> Boris Corpse and Bruno Granger makes me yeah, so happy. Yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> We're so much fun. Uh, but the 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 uh, reveal that Black Cat is bisexual, uh, referencing her dating history, her connections to her mom. Uh, what the ultimate purpose of her heist actually is, her father relationship with Black Fox. Like there's so many really beautiful themes that were expressed. Uh, Your Black Cat to me is the definitive Black Cat. I think everything that came before is a piece of her, but seeing her uh, as the focal character through this place, it cleaned up so much old continuity and was just so beautifully done, man, really, truly. Oh, thank you. I mean, that was that was kind of the point. Like, any, I mean, obviously, anytime you take on a character, you think, oh, this is going to be the definitive run of this character because I'm a genius. But uh, <laughs> this is, you know, the first time that we really, that, you know, we as creators and we as readers have really got to get into this character's head uh, over an extended period of time. You know, it's not Spider-Man Presents Black Cat. It's not Spider-Man Featuring Black Cat. It's, you know, it's Black Cat. And that's what was really interesting to me because, and uh, when Nick called me up, he says, Hey, I've got uh, I've got this, you know, a job for you if you're interested. We're spinning off a black cat series out of the events of Amazing Spider-Man. And um, he's like, you know, I love Daughters of the Dragon, but let's be honest, we can't do another Daughters of the Dragon series. It's just, you know, it's just not a huge seller. It's like, but if I give you black cat, can you do the same thing with black cat? You know, something that's high energy, something that's exciting, um, you know, some jokes, some fun, that kind of thing. And so that's the reason uh, I got Black Cat is because we wanted to kind of replicate that energy from Daughters of the Dragon, which was you know, a series I love, but also not a series that I, don't, I think set the world on fire. But it was a series that the people who liked it really liked it. Mm-hmm. And it was something that you know, people at Marvel really liked. So that was you know, the origin of Black Cat. Um, and when I got the series i wasn't you know i wasn't a huge black cat fan i wasn't you know diehard felicia hardy you know know all their history so i had to go back and read all these comics and so like well we'll start with the first appearance and uh it starts with her recruiting boris corpse and uh, bruno granger i was like wow like this is a gift because i wanted to build up uh you know supporting cast for her 
And then you have these two characters who are introduced as her crew and we never see them again uh, two issues later. I'm like, this is perfect. Like they're already in her continuity and no one's messed around with them since. And they're great. I know, they're fantastic. <laughs> right there. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. So, you know, like they have changed since their first appearance by the time they turn up in our book. But, you know, the, the groundwork is there. You got the big guy, you got the little guy who talks too much. Um, we, we, you know, made Bruno perhaps a little less dumb than he used to be uh, back in the day. But, you know, we're working on it. What, was there anything surprising about Felicia as you were going into her history that you discovered about her that you were like, wow, I had absolutely no idea this was part of the character's backstory? Yeah, I mean, what was kind of surprising to me is the wild swings in her character that have happened over the years where, you know, she would go from being uh, a love interest to a partner, to a vigilante, to, you know, like she was just dating the foreigner for a while because she was so pissed off at Spider-Man. Um, you know, I mean, there's that, that was, I think it was Larson, right? Who drew the Felicia and Flash were together. And, you know, Felicia and Flash turn up at the door dressed in like 80s style. This huge, Felicia's got this huge 80s hair and she's got this look on her face like, what's up now, motherfuckers? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, just, I really like how mercurial her character has been over the years, which is very useful to me because, you know, if she has a wide history and there's some things she's going to be proud of and, you know, refer back to. There's other things she's not going to be super proud of, like, you know, the foreigner. Um, so as far as stuff that surprises me or surprised me, I can't rec- recollect like specific stuff, but just kind of in general, just the wide range that she's gone through through her publication history as people tried to find the right spot to put her in. So this is an X-Men podcast, obviously, but we weave in a lot of concepts related to social justice and continuity and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, and Black Cat's a great example of that. Uh, was there any pushback to making her canon bad, bisexual? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's, I mean, it helped a lot that this was already established. You know, this is something, you know, I, we didn't just make this up. You know, this has been in print since, um, you know, the evil that men do. Right. So, and it's, just you know made sense for the story you know we set up odessa as this villain from the first page another first page sorry the first issue and you know telling that uh enemies to lover story it's a classic everyone loves it it's a it's a comic book staple so, oh, so yeah, i was gonna say for the most part you know marvel was very supportive the editors really went to bat for it so no there's no no no, no real difficulties there you referenced this before, but Moon Knight, even more so, oh my God, has a very complicated history and identity. Uh, but again, the way you're weaving in the continuity is so impressive. You brought in Andrea Sturman, who is an old Marvel uh, psychiatrist character from uh, yeah. from some obscure books, which is so great. Uh, and the, the therapy relationship between she and Moon Knight and the... Uh, the way you have him weaving in his, uh, as you referenced, his Jewish identity with his very complicated belief structure and mental health. It's such an interesting, very soulful take on the character. It oh, almost goodness. reads, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know quite how to describe how I feel when I'm reading Moon Knight. When I'm reading Black Cat, it's like, oh my God, Ed, like action and energy. But Moon Knight, there's almost like a, a contemplative, like I'm sitting back and I'm thinking hard about this character in a way I never have. Uh, it's a very different type of writing. Uh, tell me some of your yeah. thoughts on, uh, I don't have a specific question, except just let me hear some of your ideas about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
you know, I mentioned on a, another podcast recently where, you know, Moon Knight is spinning out of uh, Age of Conchu, the Avengers story in which he featured pretty heavily. Uh, you know, it was a story that's kind of polarizing for a lot of Moon Knight fans. For some people thought it was really great, you know, to kind of see Moon Knight on the, the big stage here. And other people were, you know, less enthused with it. But for me, it set it up, him up on a perfect spot because, you know, the Moon Knight, you know, Mark Spector, as we're dealing with him here is, you know, he's very, very reflective which is something Felicia Hardy is very rarely uh, like, you know, she'll, she'll talk about her feelings and her ideas and stuff, but you know, she's generally pretty happy, go lucky, you know, straight ahead. Whereas, you know, Mark is someone who's really reevaluating his past actions and trying to decide what is going to define him going forward. There's a, 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 just sorry to pause you. There's a scene in your book where, where someone's asking him, why do you keep a mask on? He's like, nobody can know who I am. And Tiger's like, bitch, you have a whole series that you produced yeah. about you. It's on television. I can look you up on IMDb right now. Yeah, you know, yeah that was from the uh, the Bendis run when uh, he was Mark Spector's executive producer of uh, The Legend of Khonshu, a Moon Knight television show. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's the other part of the coin where like we, tr- we have a very, you know, melancholy Moon Knight. Someone who is treading a balance between extreme violence and, you know, regret redemption. But at the same time, this is something that is deeply tedious to a lot of the people around him, you know? So like Reese and Tiger, you know, give him a lot of shit because like, seriously, you just, you're never going to take the mask off. We all know who you are. Like, why, why do you keep doing this? So we're trying to, you know, balance out with, you know, have some jokes and some laughs, largely at the expense of our title character and the uh, sort of emotional intensity that he's going through. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got new characters, but you've got these old classics too with Tigra and Vermin and eight ball and the Uh, Zodiac killer. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff. Why do you love eight ball? (laughs) He's just so funny looking. He's got a giant eight ball on his head and like, you know, he's, he's just, he's just kind of some asshole from down the road. Like he's not going to take over the world. He's not even take over the city. He's not even take over a liquor store. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he's he's still out there. He's still trying. So, you know, someone who's an extremely petty crook in a very fun and funny costume. Like the reason I came about was um, I wrote a Spider-Man series a couple of years ago. And the first, pa- first panel is Miles Morales throwing down with 8-Ball. Uh, originally, I just was looking for a random super villain to throw in that uh, opening confrontation. I had the squid and Nick Lowe, the editor was like, you know, the squid's dead. It's like, ah, he's like, here, why don't you put an eight ball instead? I'm like, all right, sure. I guess. And ever since I'm like, I'm going to keep throwing this guy everywhere. Cause I love him. There's a scene in, I think it's Dan Slott's She-Hulk series. I'd have to find the reference where eight ball gets conked on the head and someone says, are you okay? And he's like, Looking hazy. Try again later. It's so so great. (laughs) Um, The other series that I recently just finished of yours launching into the new one is Death of Doctor Strange, which was, oh my God, so beautiful. Tell us, uh, tell us about your, well, tell us about how you got this series and then your plans for Clea, who I'm so excited about. Yeah, yeah, we're going to see next week. But uh, yeah, so I was writing the uh, Black Cat 1, 2, and 3, the, the King of Black crossover, where she goes to, well, steal Doctor Strange. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with this Doctor Strange bullshit. It's the second time that Felicia's crossed paths, crossed paths with him uh, in the series. And 
I was like, well, wait, is there, like, there's no Doctor Strange series now. It's not one announced. And I need a job so I finished Taskmaster. So, Which was uh, it's, still good, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I emailed uh, Darren, who's you know the Doctor Strange editor. I'm like, hey, do you have a Doctor Strange series going? Because uh, if not, like, I'd love to write one. He's like, actually, we do. I'm like, great, here's my ideas. He's like, well, actually, we, we do have a series that we're planning to do that you can write. Uh, I was like, oh, oh, okay, sure. So they, we, we talked about what, you know, what Marvel wanted, what the editorial had planned out. So we knew that, A, Doctor Strange was going to die. And then, B, we had uh, Brevoort's idea with the, the younger Strange, uh, who had been kept in reserve to come and investigate the death. Which I thought was a very elegant idea. I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, it was a great twist at the end of that first issue. Yeah, it was. It's an idea I wish I could say was mine, but uh, <laughs> you gotta give credit where it's due. We'll give it to Tom. Yeah. So after that, I just started trying to put it together, and it was uh, a difficult birth. I think by the time the the Death of Doctor Strange that you're familiar with now is the third like full outline. The first two, you know, got shot down or completely torn down and rebuilt. Um, I think the first one had, uh, you know, my my '90s deep cut bullshit coming up with uh, Strange and um, Vincent Stevens, the two sort of homunculi he spun off in the '90s coming coming to murder him. But uh, eventually, it it became the the form that it is now. I was very pleased with it. I think as irritated I was as I was at the time by uh, rebuilding it over and over again, it made for a much better story and a much stronger story. Um, how did you come up with, uh, with, is it, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Casilius. Casilius. Casilius oh, is, uh, Casilius is OG. He's, uh, Oh yeah. 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 But how, did oh. you, how did you choose him of all, <laughs> of oh. all obscure, crazy villains? He's so great. Yeah. I mean, I was basically just looking for, someone to pin it on and i knew that baron mordo was going to be suspect number one he's baron mordo you know that's just kind of the way it is um and a writ i think my second go at it the the murderer was baron mordo's assistant but it was like a new character who was just kind of be like this dog's body in the background and i was like well wait we can just replace this character with casilius because he's back he came back in valkyrie and um oh that's right yeah yeah he came back with demonicus and the, i don't remember the woman's name because she's referred to as the witch uh in the I old can, i can think stuff. of it if you give me a second yeah Anyways, it, it's, it's not terribly important for the purposes of our conversation here but i was like oh, you know, that, that'd be great i can pin it on this guy but he's also such a, a minor shitbird of a character that you know he's just kind of fades in the background he's just mordo's lackey the guy who carries the spell looks around and then Lee did this kind of great redesign where he looks like some sort of like black metal hobo. And uh, yeah, then we were off to the races. Uh, and then tell us about your your pitch for Clea coming up. I'm super excited. I'm an old so diehard Defenders that. fan and Clea is so iconic. And I don't think a lot of modern readers know anything about her. Yeah. No, because I mean, she's, she's not been around much. Like we have that whole bit in uh, the, the Wade Doctor Strange where... Oh, Paul, you know, the girl's name is Adria. Adria, right. Adria. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, go uh, ahead. But yeah, like, you know, there's the bit where in the, the way Doctor Strange were, you know, Stephen and Clea kind of start to mend fences and patch things up. And then those memories get taken from her because of Mephisto being an asshole as usual. 
So that was one thing that I really wanted to explore in Death of Doctor Strange, especially because I think Jaren's like, uh, listen, we want to we put Clea in this so that, because we, we didn't have any plans for the, the Clea series at this point. Um, he's like, yeah, I want to make sure we have Clea in this. And I'm like, well, this sounds great because, you know, there's just, there's so much drama and juice there with, uh, you know, Clea having her memories back, but then she meets Strange, but it's the young Strange who's barely met her. And it's a whole thing. Um, and as we went on, we're like, well, you know what? We could, we could do a series of Clea after this. You know, Clea could, could become the Sorcerer Supreme because we're still kind of evaluating our options and figuring out what we're going to do after the series. And I was really, you know, really psyched on it because, a, you know, they canceled my book with a white-haired female lead, so I'll, uh, I'll have I'll, now I'll have a new one. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be great. Yes. You know, she'll uh, she'll be a, a, a burglar and uh, go on adventures, but no. <laughs> um, you know, writing Clea in Death of Doctor Strange, I really, you know, I really like her because I think she's a really interesting character. And with one of the main points being that, you know, Clea's not human. Clea has never been human. You know, she's half Faltine. And the other Faltine are Dormammu and, or Dormammu and Umar. And well, now Doyle Dormammu. Oh, yeah, which, yeah. Which is, you know, who is, you know, her cousin. And it's kind of wild to think that this character who for a long time has been kind of relegated to the role of the, you know, the, the girlfriend, the love interest is an alien, you know, an alien uh, creature who has, you know, is the heir to warlords. So in this new series, we're kind of exploring what that means to her where, you know, she is someone, you know, she is Faltine and the Faltine are not used to being thwarted and what it is that they want. And Clea wants Stephen Strange because, you know, that's that's who she loves and that's who she wants and she's going to get him. And it doesn't matter, you know, what's in her way. But there is a lot of things that get in her way. You know, she's got, we've got, got magical gangsters of the Blasphemy Cartel are turning up, causing problems for people. We've got the Harvestman is this new sort of, you know, Sorcerer Supreme of Death who's turning up. He's got a great, you know, a great design by Marcello. So um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And then, you know, Wong is kind of stuck in the middle. He's just like, what? It's like, man, these, every Sorcerer Supreme I serve is worse than the last one. <laughs> like more, more, more impetuous and like giving more heartburn than the last one. And, uh, you know, we're setting up Wong too as, I mean, I wouldn't want to say, but more continuing this idea of him being, you know, not the man serving. It's not really a thing that works anymore, but you know, right, the, right. the partner. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I think, I hope people will like it. People seem to be pretty hyped for it. And it's, it, I mean, it's going to look great. Like, so those uh, pencils are just so amazing. Uh, Dayspring, I know your first love is X-Men, but are you a Clea fan? I am a Clea fan. I'm also a Doctor Strange fan quite a bit. And I was so excited when No Way Home was being announced and the trailers were dropping. And then <laughs> your book came up on solicitations, Death of Doctor Strange. I was like, ah, yeah. What was it like? Like the entire world. I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home is breaking box office records. Everyone yeah. is so excited for Doctor Strange in Multiverse of Madness. How is it being the guy who had to write his death and appoint a new Sorcerer Supreme? It's, I mean, as long as you don't read the comments, it's fine. <laughs> Wait, are you suggesting the internet is angry <laughs> over something? Angry over a female character being what? in the spotlight? No, it's crazy. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, it's it's all kind of the same to me. A lot of the the movie hype stuff just kind of washes over me. It's not a, a really that big a deal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I haven't been to a movie in 
a few years. So it kind of is what it is. Uh, I don't think I've I don't think I've seen a new, a new blockbuster movie without having it, it spoiled for me by the time it hits streaming. So I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but but yeah, you know, it's I think it's kind of a gutsy move to take Stephen Strange off the table when you're having all this renewed Stephen Strange uh, attention. So um, we'll see how it goes, I guess. But, but you're. Death of Doctor Strange is such a wonderful book. And then now we're getting Clea to at the end. You're, you're handling it so well. I think, I mean, I hope so. And, and, and I think the thing is, when we were working on Death of Doctor Strange, there's always kind of something in the back of my head where, you know, you, you put death of whatever on the front of a book that you're writing. And, you know, you're playing Russian roulette right there. People are going to really like it. They're going to be like, I can't believe this happened. You know, like, what, what, were, the, what were they thinking? So, you know, thankfully, Death of Doctor Strange seemed to land pretty well. So I was happy with that. Because uh, it's so well written and well done. Yeah. yeah you Not know, to gush get, over you. Uh, well, well, let me feel free. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and the, you know, the art was great. The cover yeah. was great. Everything just, you know, came together really well. And even the design in the, like, the interstitial title pages looked great. So I was, it was a book that I was very pleased with the way it came out. When you read, see, oh, sorry. I was going to say, when you read a creator's work, you know what a Jason Aaron book's going to feel like. And you know what a Leah Williams book's going to yep. feel like. And you know what a Cy Spurrier book's going to feel like. And Jed, you've got your own flavor and your own style. And you're a writer that I trust yeah. now. So I don't have any recriminations about Clea as strange. I know you're going to do an incredible job. Oh, we're so excited for it. Yeah, I mean, there, and there are some things you, know, you kind of worry about too as well like so i think someone very uncharitably uh, uh noted that it seemed very strange for um you know a female character front fronting a book with her purpose being i'm going to get my man back and i'm like well okay sure i that, you could look at it that way but i mean ultimately it's about her getting what she wants or on the quest to get what she wants because uh She's of a people who are ruled by the ruled by their desires, and you know Dormammu's desires for conquest, Umar's um, desires for you know rapaciousness, and Clea's desire is for is for love. Love has been long denied to her, uh, and unfairly by the devil himself recently. So now you have a direct X Men story, your most direct recently in uh, Wolverine, Blood White. Blood, white, and black, black, white, and blood, black, white, and blood. It's tough, isn't it? Number <laughs> mouthful. three, right? And you have a, a beautiful backup story with Wolverine and Magic going to Mars to fight Mame. <laughs> not uh, not the old classic gay film, <laughs> but the Martian advanced idea mechanics. Uh, tell us a little about your story and what it was like to work uh, in the X office for a bit. Uh, yeah, the story was a huge pain in the ass because every. <laughs> Well, no, and, and there's a reason for that. I mean, I'm not just uh, talking shit um, because we had, you know, there's so many great creators working on this anthology book that all the ideas were getting snapped up before uh, I could think of one and pitch them. So, you know, my first was, uh, I was like, oh, we'll do a wild man, you know, feral Wolverine, he'll fight Ulysses Bloodstone. I love Ulysses Bloodstone. I try to bring him in whenever I can. Um, and, you know, they're just like, no, we've already got a, a feral Wolverine story. I was like, okay, so... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a Canadian thing. We'll have them in Canada. They'll fight Wendigos and it'd be him and Guardian from Alpha Flight. Because again, I try to bring Alpha Flight uh, in everything I can because you know, the only Canadian superhero team we have. Um, <laughs> they're like, no, we've already got a Wendigo story. I was like, oh, for fuck's sakes. I'm like, okay, well, how, 
we'll, we'll go to Mars. Mars is red. This we use red color. Is anyone going to Mars? No one's going to Mars, right? And so ultimately that was what we went with because I had to come up with something that I was pretty outlandish so as not to step on anybody else's toes. But by, you know, by the time I finally got my concept that no one else was already using, then, you know, it was, it was easy breezy. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun kind of traipsing over the, uh, the ruins of the um, Martian stuff from Avengers. Right. Yeah. And then we had a, then there was like a summit on zoom and the ex office was talking about their plans for Mars and Araco and my eyes kind of bugged out of my head because <laughs> I didn't know about any of that. Yeah. You're uh, ahead of the curve. Yeah. And so I you know, immediately sent a message to uh, an editor. I'm like, is like, is this going to work? Like, we have to cut my story. He's like, yeah, I think it's probably okay. I'm like, all right. Okay. Cause like at the end, they're like, yeah, wouldn't it be funny if uh, all those mutants came to live on Mars? And, you know, Ileana's like, yeah, bullshit. I'm, it's going to mean I'm to drag them back and forth all the time. And then they're like, oh yeah, I guess the mutants are going to live on Mars now. All right. Your, uh, your sassy, cheeky Ileana was my favorite part of that story. She's, uh, she's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I've never read much Ileana, but I have kind of like a biosmosis, um, like my feel for her, her voice and characterization is sort of like bicultural osmosis. But in my head, she still always has a Russian accent, even though I know that's not the case. For sure. So I think I wrote her in that as having like, you know, no contractions and like a, a pseudo sort of Russian accent in my head. And like going back, I'm like, yeah, that was, that was not right. But uh, having the sight gag of her trying to put the, the hat on over <laughs> yeah, her yeah, yeah. was, love that. I'm looking at that panel right now. Uh, it's looking like uh it's looking like video y'all has got some really redemptive beautiful stuff coming up with iliana in new mutants and we're super excited i mean you know vita's always got beautiful stuff coming up like they're they're you know they're hitting their stride so hard in new mutants it's amazing and then you know rod on it as well it's just yeah it's 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 quite the book i mean iliana is such a beloved character and vita's doing such amazing work uh dayspring what were you going to say Oh, no, I was just going to say, first of all, I love Rod, great artist. Secondly, with magic, did you read Leah Williams's What If Ileana Became the Sorcerer Supreme? That no, was, I haven't. It's, uh, I it, should. It, it was great. It, did you see the speculation online when they were like, who's going to be the new Sorcerer Supreme? The two people on Power of X-Men that came up over and over again was, of course, magic. And the second was Wanda. Yeah. And uh, it's it was funny too because there was I don't think it was oh no it wasn't a misprint it was a solicit that was talking about Ileana as the uh, Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo but everyone thought it was spoiling it saying that she was going to become the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth and other people say oh no she can't be the Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo and Earth and I was like actually you can <laughs> well, you can be the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension and Earth as it turns out but uh, it's not uh, not easy. Uh, if you had a dream X-Men book and you don't have to answer this cause I don't want to like spoil any future pitches that you have, mm-hmm. but what, what would your, what would your book be? Who are your favorite characters in the X in the current X world? That's, that's hard to say. I mean, like my default answer is always kind of dazzler. Cause I feel like there's just something fun you can do with her. And it may also just maybe be me being like a one trick pony or like, I'll just do black cat, but with dazzler. Um, <laughs> But at the same no time, argument here. <laughs> but yeah, I, just, I feel like there's a lot of interesting mutants. Um, 
The Bedlam Brothers, I always really like. Uh, I'd love to do something with them. Uh, Jesse Bedlam and King Bedlam. Um, you know, again, real, not exactly uh, burning up the charts, those two, but I think they're really interesting characters with, inter with interesting power sets. And uh, I think they could be fun. Uh, Jeff, yeah. what do you have coming? I, I interrupted you. I apologize. No, no. So that, that was basically the end of my thought process there. Uh, what do you have coming up that we can look forward to that you're able to talk about? Uh, so yeah, we got Strange number one starting next week, which is March 2nd. So next week at the time of recording, um, we have Moon Knight number, shoot, number nine. Nine, nine, yeah, yeah. It was, it was last month with your, yeah. uh, with your stained glass scarlet work in it. Yes, God, God, that yeah. was beautiful. Oh man, boy, did, did Alessandro and Rochelle do work on that one? Mm. Holy moly! Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Moon Knight Nine is coming out. Uh, we got Devil's Reign, Moon Knight, the one shot uh, detailing what Mark is up to in prison, uh, coming out uh, the next week. Um, the, our magic series from Boom Comics uh, continues. So. Yeah, we've got a couple Spider-Man things as well. 92 and 92. Bay, I believe. I have a hard time keeping track of the Spider-Man numbers because they move so quickly. <laughs> yeah, you're, but, uh, you're telling a crazy story in Spider-Man. I didn't even reference that. Uh, with the Beyond Corporation, there's so much great stuff happening right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty peripheral to any of that. Just sort of whenever Nick needs someone to, to hop in to fill in something, then uh, he's like, here, can you give me 15 pages by Friday? I'm like, sure. Okay. <laughs> Why not? So the the ninety two dot bay I think is the yeah. one. It's uh, got Monica Rambeau on the cover, so we're doing like a real, you know, like fifteen pages of uh, real Monica stuff, which is a lot of fun. I like Monica a lot. I think it's really funny how she's an old school Avengers chairman, and then has basically kind of never really done anything since. Then she's part of like Next Wave, and she's like, hey, you know, I hate all these people. I mean, she's an ultimate. Yeah, I love that's not fair. Next wave so much. And I love how she's there. She's like, I led the Avengers once yeah. upon a time, like quiet. She was yeah. so great in Next Wave. And Nick Lowe wrote a song to Next Wave. I yeah, believe. He, he did I think he and his brother, I think, did the theme song as uh as Thunder Thighs. Oh. <laughs> but that's uh, incredible. Yeah, so Mon it's it's very next wave uh Monica in this Spider-Man thing. So it's it's my my riff on like a very next wave kind of thing, which was, you know, indulgent, but fun. And I think, I think it came out pretty well. I hope, hope people will like it. Well, and your Mary Jane black cat one shot was not uh, a damn side dish. That was the whole entree, man. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> uh, so I was so pleased with the way that came out and uh, you know, having, having CF back on black cat was, was great. Cause I mean, I think, you know, CF we had a lot of artists on black cat, but I think CF, you know, really made it his own. What are your thoughts on the amount of space the X-Men are taking up in the Marvel Universe right now? Resurrections and their own nation and their own fucking planet <laughs> on the side. Uh, they're, they're, they're taking up not just a side corner anymore. They're, they're kind of the whole show. It's almost like everything else is on the side, except in, unless you're in New York City, which is <laughs> yeah. where all the rest are. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I've, it's, it's fine. It's good. Like, I think it's, it's cool that the X-Men have found such... A, uh, a vibrant new status quo that so many people are not, you know, so many creators, I mean, are able to, you know, look at different facets of it and take different spins on it. And, you know, uh, I think the rising tide uh, floats all boats over the hell that saying is, is that, you know, the more people are excited about X-Men, I think the more people are excited about comics in general. And I think it's, you know, probably just good for everything. Uh, it's, 
it is interesting in that, you know, I, I do almost no work on the X-Men side. So I'm like, I don't know what everyone's so excited about. <laughs> like, well, look, look over here. There's Moon Knight beating up a guy in an alley. You never seen well, that before. But Marvel is having a minute right now with all their properties. Cause obviously X-Men, Spider-Man mm-hmm. beyond everything that's going on there and mm-hmm. Moon Knight. I mean, I feel like everyone's talking about that trailer and everyone's yeah. so excited for the Disney plus series. I mean, like we, we all saw his cape do that, you know? So <laughs> Very exciting. It's it's beautiful, and your and your book again, just incredible. Um, the uh, the privilege of doing this podcast means I'm getting to know the people behind the scenes. But uh, I'm a huge fan already. But after talking to you, Jed, I'm an oh, even bigger you. fan. There's there's so much uh, so much beauty in the work <laughs> that you're doing. Dayspring, did you want a chance to ask any questions of Jed that you haven't had a chance to yet? Jed, how do you feel since this is an X Men mm-hmm. podcast? Sure. How do you feel of a one Hank McCoy, aka Beast, the worst X Man ever? <laughs> Please Let's... let us know your feels on that. It's kind of it's a little strange to me because, like I said, I came up reading seventies comics. Uh, so, like even in the nineties, I wasn't reading nineties comics because you have to pay for those to get them new. Whereas, you know, my parents are like, well, we have plenty of comics at home, so read those. I'm like, all right, fair enough. So my sort of long held perception of Hank McCoy is, you know, deeply rooted in the seventies uh, and, you know, somewhat in the sixties as well. Because remember as a kid, I asked my dad, I'm like, why the hell is he blue in this book? Cause uh, you know, we had some stuff where, you know, he was on the Avengers and he was the, the blue kind of Wolverine hair yeah. before there was Wolverine hair look. So, I mean, I, I like beast. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think anybody likes Beast right now, but I, I'll be very, and I am saying this as not knowing what is in store for Beast. I have no inside knowledge uh, on the character whatsoever. I will be curious if we see a situation where, you know, we, we see the more fun-loving Beast restored. Yeah, I Because, you know, I'd, I'd love to see like some Beast and Wonder Man stuff. I mean, it'd be great. Oh my God, that's so, I, I love that friendship, that bromance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It. Or, um, you know, like Beast and Sword was great. Um, going as like Abigail Brand Adventures and just kind of like being goofball on the side. I haven't, uh, I haven't interviewed Ben Percy, but I've listened to some of his interviews. I don't think we're going to see Nice Beast for a while. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you, you, you know, that's the nature of superhero comics. Sometimes you get development for a character you don't like, and sometimes it sticks around, sometimes it doesn't. Well, and that's that's one of the big senses I'm getting from this podcast. I've, I've interviewed Roy Thomas and Steve Englehart recently, who mm-hmm. are some of the old timey writers, right? And where, yeah. where you take these characters that have existed for decades and you work with them and then you pass them on and new things happen and characters evolve and there's new continuity. But I think there's always this kind of love for the version of the character that we are most familiar with, which I think for the Beast yeah. is the 90s cartoon guy that bounces around. Or in the comics, the Avengers guy who who bounces around, right? He's a yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the the guy that you have Jim Lee drawing like upside down, adjusting his glasses with his foot or something, you know? Yeah, right, right. While you he's can, trying to cure the legacy virus. Yeah, yeah. you can make well, well done uh, on that, by the way. You can make you can make <laughs> Dazzler, you can make Dazzler an interdimensional bounty hunter of evil Xavier's, but she's gonna end up back in her zoot suit on and roller roller skates. Like <laughs> yeah, like, she, like she, she's never getting away from that uh, that shiny jumpsuit. Like yo, and Jed, that issue that you did to serve and protect, if memory serves correctly, there was a Hellcat and Gambit mini yes. like like mini story uh, in that as well. Yeah, Catherine and Stuart Eminem did it. It was, it yeah. was great. 
Oh God, that was such a great issue. I really, you know, the utopian era, especially to serve and protect. I remember that just being a really promising time for the X-Men. We felt like the X-Men, much like what we're seeing right now with Krakoa, were coming back into the universe. <laughs> and this was Marvel's good faith showing readers that the X-Men are going to occupy a much larger part of the MU. Yeah, and that's what's what's interesting about the, uh, the utopian era to me is that you had like a, just a lot of really great, stuff from Kieran Galen in it. Oh, yeah. And now we've got Kieran coming back to X-Men, which I think is going to be really exciting for people. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I post, I tweeted about it like a month or so ago. Uh, I've been putting off reading Eternals for a long time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and read the whole series. And I'm just like, it's it's so good. It's and great. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's like building a modern myth right in front of your eyes. Like the kind of stuff that we look back, you know, 50 years ago and say, this is this foundational stuff that Marvel's built on that we still reference and you know just the i think it's i think karen's just like one of the the cleverest writers that uh, is in comics or most clever writers in comics uh right now and the you know the stuff that he and everybody else is getting up to in x-men coming up i think it's going to be really exciting for people the uh I, I i talk about how each book i read will bring a different mood with with turtles i feel like i need to like get a glass of wine and lay out spreadsheets and yeah. like have a full <laughs> hour to like flip pages and like really closely focus it's so good what are some of your favorite books marvel's putting out right now what are you a big fan of um well like i said eternals i'm very keen on it just feels like there's a density of ideas that's just unmatched by anything else right now um shoot what else am i reading because i get the i get the the pdf send outs every week from um from marvel so it's just kind of like stuff that i see i'll like oh i'll i'll take because i was on very bad internet before so it takes forever for me to download a pdf so i'm like i'd have to like look say oh i'll look at that i'll pick that up um yeah like Alyssa long's new iron fist very keen on oh yeah yeah um you know eternals as i said what else am i reading it's just kind of like random stuff here and there. Uh, been having fun with uh, Avengers, Avengers Forever. Uh, there's just a lot of. It's like it's it's, it's just it's as Jason Aaron is the things you're gonna get like these big ideas and these just yeah. big big characters all yelling at each other. You know, no one is calm for a minute. That book moves at an insane pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild, and yeah, it's just just kind of all over the place. And, you know, I'm trying to keep up with Spider Man as best as I can, but again, it's like you know, three times a month. So it's easy to fall behind. There's a lot in Spider-Man. I have another podcast and we were covering Spider-Man and it's, there, ah, there's definitely busy. Yeah. Well, we're starting a spinoff, <laughs> spin-off <laughs> podcast. Is it, is it web, web of Spider-Man podcast? <laughs> it's uh, the amazing web heads. Nice. But um, no, Spider-Man. I mean, I've always enjoyed Spider-Man, but I've with the beyond era, kicking off i've had this resurgence of the character i just love it so much so yeah and there's like i i know some stuff is coming up ahead so i think it's going to be uh i th- think you'll be pleased We're it's pretty excited. cool zeb zeb wells is another writer who i just trust implicitly after hellions and new mutants mm. like i whatever he writes i will buy i think it's incredible yeah i mean like zeb is not he was not someone i really read before until he was doing hellions and i was talking about how good hellions was like oh i'll get read and yeah, it was so good. I want to interview uh, him about Nanny and Orphan Maker for like a full hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Jets, as we are wrapping up today, where can people find you online if they would like to interact with you? And is there anything we should be looking forward to that we haven't talked about yet? So my name is Chad Anderson. You can find Gray Malkin Lane on Twitter and Instagram. I'm pretty easy to chat with. 
although I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, we are interviewing uh, and reviewing comics with uh, with Bob Quinn, the artist, uh, coming up. And uh, after that, we're going to be working with the writer, Zach Gorman. And I'm so excited uh, for both of those. Uh, uh, Dayspring next, and then Jed. Yeah, so you can find me at Power of X-Men on Instagram, not Twitter, because I'm widely inconsistent there. <laughs> we have a podcast, Power of X-Men. We have Ian Churchill coming up. We have Leah Williams returning. We have the Leewalds. And we, of course, have Chad coming on as well. Perhaps the greatest, greatest guest that we've had today. What a gift. What a gift. So we are reviewing every single issue of the Age of Apocalypse. So check us out. And Jed, how about for you? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jed McKay, J-E-D-M-A-C-K-A-Y. Um, that's about the only social, uh, outward facing social media I have. Uh, I have an Instagram, but uh, I've yet to post a photo. So, uh, <laughs> just more of camping the name. Um, but yeah, uh, that's usually where I talk a lot of shit about stuff that I have coming out and, uh, that's about it really. So, so we've got some books coming out. Like I said, strange number one is starting, uh, magic continues. Moon Knight continues. Moon Knight, a uh, devil's rain, Moon Knight. Uh, comes out this month as well. So we got Double Moon Night this month, as well as Double Moon Night for the next four months after because of Moon White, Moon, Moon Night, Black, White, and Blood coming out. All right. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, is it okay to tell people where you live, Jed? Yeah, sure. I so mean, Jed, so Jed's not, in, not my address, but sure. yeah, yeah, well, I don't know your address. <laughs> Jed's in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And pre pandemic, I used to take solo trips by myself. My husband would keep the kids, and I would just go somewhere and have like a little riding furlough for four or five days. And when I travel, I don't make any plans. Uh, so one, one day in Halifax, I'll just walk and see what I find. I'd eat at a random restaurant and I'd end up on a boat looking at nature. And then the next night, I'd be at some sort of random, I don't know, dance performance. But my favorite Halifax memory was my final night there. I ended up uh, get, getting really high, which it was fun, <laughs> of course. But I went to I went to a like uh, bluegrass band. They called it a kitchen party. There was this okay. big theater, and they were playing like instruments and having like a hoedown. And they sat me up on the stage, and I was really <laughs> high. And people are dancing all around and stomping and kept pulling me out of my chair. I have such fond memories of Halifax. So uh, I hope you are having a great time there. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's I mean. It's the place I like to live in. Uh, you know, I think I think about other places that I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy here. I don't want to move anywhere. I'm good. My final morning there, I was uh, sipping coffee and uh, a seal popped up out of the water, like in the ocean. And I was like, oh, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, park used to take the dog to to walk it's along the coast. And there's a, uh, like a, a rock that's very shallow under the water. So when the tide goes down, the rock sticks out. Sometimes you just see a seal just sitting on top of the rock. And they just kind of like wobble around and the other seal pops head up, see if it's his turn on the rock and it is inevitably not because seals don't like to share. But that's uh, it's always nice, nice bit of wildlife to see. Yeah, you, I, I'm in Salt Lake City, so I may get a moose if I try hard. Yeah. But there's <laughs> certainly no seals here. Not, not a lot of sea life. <laughs> All right, gents. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll see you guys back here next time on Grey Mountain Lane. Bye.